Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are a Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S. G-N-855, the number 4-G-A-R-T-E-N. You can get in touch with us that way, as well as listening to us on all of our platforms, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. Absolutely go check us out there. Guys, I got to tell you, it's the Sweet 16. I am pumped up. We got a lot to talk about today. The first thing I want to touch on is, look, everybody loves underdog stories, right? And we all just get enamored with the underdog stories. But underdogs are good from a betting perspective as well. Obviously, they're moneymakers. We know that. Um, we understand the just pure right-in-your-pocket type of money when an underdog wins. But it also kind of gives us something to move forward with as well. You see the public starting to pay attention to that team. The public now all of a sudden is in on that team. A great example is Oral Roberts. They won a couple of years ago early in the tournament. So this year, all of a sudden, everybody loved Oral Roberts. It wasn't a great matchup for them, but they loved Oral Roberts. Why? Because you start to believe in that team. If St. Peter's had made the tournament this year, or if they make it next year, they'll be a little overvalued. Why? Because the underdog, oh, okay, wait a minute, they put money in my pocket. And now you look at them moving forward. That gets into a lot of these Sweet 16 you know, matchups that we will break down uh, in the second segment. We're going to break down each and every matchup. But understand, a lot of people are out there, and a lot of the public is out there, overvaluing underdogs because they put money in their pocket last week, and they feel like, hey, you know what? They're going to do it again. That's the worry about underdogs, but it also gives us some insight how to play them. Now, let, let me just give you, a, you know, a little understanding of, of what winning an underdog can do for the program, though. Because it's not only, you know, hey, you know what? It's a great idea that a, a 16 defeated a 1. Wow, that's a cool story. It's a good sports story. And it, it, look, it put money in a lot of people's pockets, of course. Well, that's great. But as far as what it does for the, the establishment, as far as what it does for university, it's massive. It's on a massive, massive scale. And I don't think that people realize how big it is for them to go out there and win. How big is it? For these underdog teams, and I'm not talking about, look, when I say underdogs in this context, I'm talking about the mid-majors that are not supposed to win. I'm not talking about, you know, an eighth seed Arkansas. Good program, good coach, you know, just happened to be an underdog. I'm not talking about those kind of teams. I'm not talking about the, uh, you know, the big six conferences 
where a team might have just had an upset. And I think that that is a big difference between kind of like underdog and upset, right? Arkansas wins, moves on as an eight seed. That's an upset. It's not an underdog, right? An underdog is obviously a 16 beating a one, a 15 beating a two. In most cases, a 14 beating a three, although we went over that last week, how often the 14s are now. The new the 14-3 is now the new 12-5. I, I mean, I think we could say that pretty definitively. But when it, you have a huge underdog win an NCAA tournament game or two, right, but certainly one game, it can do massive, massive things uh, just in a great way for the school itself. I got a couple of things here for you. Florida Gulf Coast, right? Remember when they went on their run years ago? Florida Gulf Coast's admissions applications increased 28% after they went to the Sweet 16. Their application admissions up 28%. That means people are paying attention to the school. That's money for the school. It's admissions for the school, right? Butler, when they went to the Final Four, you know, they went to two Final Fours. Butler was awesome. But Butler kind of came out of nowhere. I I remember that I went to uh, Army baseball camp, right? It was kind of a a developmental camp for people to play, uh, you know, baseball at the next level. And my head coach was the Butler head coach at the time. I had no idea. Now, I was a 16-year-old kid at the time. I had no idea what Butler was. I didn't know anything about them, right? Now, we all know them. But Butler, after they went to their Final Four run, increased 50%. Admission application. George Mason, their inquiries for admission application went up 350% after they beat Villanova in 2010. Uh, 2011, I should say. So you can see the just substantial increase for these kind of teams. It's unbelievable. Moorhead State's president said after they beat Lily, uh, Louisville years ago that their increase and their attention was almost overwhelming. He said, athletics is the front porch of every university. That's unbelievable. 350% increase in admissions offices at George Mason. $36 million renovation to Hinkle Fieldhouse for Butler after they went. $5 million increase in annual gifts to the Ram Athletic Fund uh, before the Final Four appearance. That's for VCU. 25 city representatives requested VCU alumni chapters after the tournament. FGCU, Florida Gulf Coast, $19 million increase in annual fundraising for the school. From $14 million to $33 million. 106% increase in home attendance. And it's lasting. That's since 2013. Unbelievable, right? Xavier Admissions Office overfilled their freshman dorms in 2008, after their Elite Eight run. It, it, what it does for these teams is mind-boggling, guys. It's mind-boggling how, what exactly this does for, for these universities, what these teams really add. So we have two teams, right? I mean, we have Princeton. They're always going to to get admissions because of their the academic side of things, right? So I don't expect the admissions to be up. But you know what? Princeton has a lot of rich guys. I I fully, fully, fully expect the alumni, uh, Princeton rich alumni, to 
really increase. I think we're going to read somewhere in the next uh, you know couple of months, maybe before next year, how the Princeton Alumni Fund and money came pouring into the athletic department, maybe renovations to the athletic department. Why? Based on this kind of run. They didn't win one game. They won two games of the 15 seed, right? I mean, that that's what we're looking at. You look at the 16 seed. You can argue that this is the greatest upset in the history of the tournament. Purdue was the number one seed, like Virginia, sure. Um, but the reality is they didn't even win their conference, right? I mean, they didn't even win their conference. And they went on and won, FDU did. Fairleigh Dickinson won. They lost their head coach immediately, right? People were paying attention to them. It's kind of a St. Peter's story in a lot of ways. Uh, these These underground New Jersey schools really crushing it. Uh, but I expect massive, massive increase in the basketball program. Admissions program will go up. Uh, donor money will go up. This does a lot for the schools themselves. So while we're all sitting here in a betting mindset, and it's a betting show, I get it, right? We're in a betting mindset, in a betting situation, and we're going, how much did they pay? How much did they put in my pocket? Just understand, besides the feel-good story of, ah, oh, you know what, that's good for the kids. Oh, that's good for them. No, no. It's outrageously good for the program. Outrageously good. And I wanted to throw out some numbers because when you say, well, it's good for the program, I don't think people really grasp it until you start hearing numbers, until you start understanding how much college athletics at the elite level, meaning NCAA, March Madness, and meaning, you know, if you ever get into college football playoff, how that increases the university's exposure. A great story I could tell you real quick. Um, I was working at a very, very small radio station, and Gonzaga went to the tournament, right? And, and, and I, I mean, this is, we're talking, what, 25 years ago. We didn't know one thing about Gonzaga, okay? I barely knew where, I thought it was in Seattle, right? I, I, I assumed it was in Seattle. I didn't know anything about Gonzaga. I was uh, I, I, probably 20, 20 years old, I think. So I didn't know anything. So we called up the school, Afterwards, because we wanted to get a live reaction from somebody on campus. We thought the campus would be going crazy. So we called up the school. They gave us into the security office. And we talked to the security office. We said, okay, are you guys preparing for things today? Because now, you know, you're on live radio. You got to go. Oh, where are you guys preparing? And the guy's like, no. No, we're not preparing for anything. We didn't know where the school was. I'm broadcasting in New York. Nobody has any idea who to get in touch with. The security offices at Gonzaga like, no, I mean, you know, it's a basketball game. They didn't feel the full grasp of it. Of that now, fast forward twenty years later or so, about twenty years later, Gonzaga is a perennial program. Gonzaga is throwing more money at, at their program than some of the blue bloods, right? Than some of the elite programs in the Power Five, Power Six conferences. Gonzaga is all of a sudden that team. So we can see how important it is for the upsets to happen, for the underdogs though, the real true underdogs. It means so much more than just covering a spread or getting a money line. It means so much more than just advancing in a bracket. It means so much more than just, hey, that's a feel-good story for these kids. It actually impacts the entire university, and forever those kids are going to be remembered for elevating their university. So that is the feel-good story here. Now let's go on to the actual numbers, the actual betting numbers, because these get interesting. Okay, so let's talk some of these underdogs, right? Let's get into some of these underdogs. Um, you look at some of the, the top things that we, we have to kind of touch on here, right? 
and you look at if you bet, I'm talking strictly from a betting perspective here, because this is one of the one of the fallacies of just betting, right? People go, well, you know what? If you blindly bet every underdog money line in the tournament, you would just be 16 and 36. Okay? Only 16 and 36. But you'd be up twelve hundred dollars. Oh man, that's crazy. And you saw people out there going, oh, I'm gonna bet, you know, a hundred dollars on every single underdog. I thought about it. Don't get me wrong. I thought about it. I said, you know, I was in Atlantic City. I said, you know what? Maybe I'll put 500 bucks on every single underdog money line. And I would have made money. You would have been up $1,200. But let's really break that down. First of all, 16 and 36 is hard to swallow. But hey, you're up 1200 bucks, right? I mean, that's, that's 10 times your investment at least. That's huge. But that is with FDU and Princeton. Without FDU... Without Fairleigh Dickinson alone, you're about even. Okay? So without Fairleigh Dickinson, you're even. It worked out this year. Okay? But I uh, next year, we know. Now it's out there and it's prevalent. We know next year, the public is going to race to do this. And somehow or another, they're not going to make money. And it would have just taken just one. Look, if FDU doesn't win, you're even. If Princeton doesn't win, you're basically even. So it's one game swing here or there. That's the difference here. That's why you can't just go completely all in on a money line and just expect it to be okay. If you bet every underdog against the spread, you'd be 25 and 27. You'd be down about 500 bucks because of the VIG. Okay. Now, because of the VIG, people go, all right, well, what about the favorites? Well, the favorites would only be 27 and 25. And guess what? You'd be down money. Because of the VIG. Take those 25 losses, right? And throw $10 on each one of them. You'd be down. So you'd be down about $500, a little under $500, but about 500 bucks if you bet every underdog straight, you know, against the spread, not, not money line. If you bet every underdog against the spread, you'd be down a little under 500 bucks. If you bet every favorite against the spread, you'd be down over $200. <laughs> it's not a winning formula. And I know that people are going to go crazy and go, oh, wait a minute. You know, I'm going out next year. Money line every single one of these. Oh, I'm going to money line it all day long. You know someone's going to do that. You know what they're going to do. But I'm sorry, guys. Can we really expect two years in a row with a 1 and a 16? And that one sixteen matchup is the only reason you're plus money. The only reason you're plus money is because of Fairleigh Dickinson. I don't expect that two years in a row. As a matter of fact, you know, we were talking about this on, on my weekend show where, yes, we can expect underdogs better now uh, to, to cover. We can expect more 16 seeds in the near future. Uh, we went 34 years without a, a 116, and now all of a sudden we've had two in the last, what, five years. It, it happens, but it also happens because the state of college basketball, right? Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. The state of college basketball is not what it once was. There are not many four-year starters. Uh, tremendous, ridiculous, talented guys that would have gone to blue blood programs are either in the NBA, right? Or they're not lasting for the four years anyway, so they're getting out early. You also have the addition of social media and where we are in the world as far as streaming and as for the way that scouting goes. So you have somebody like Max Acemus, who's in Oral Roberts, didn't even transfer because you don't have to. Right? You don't have to go to Kentucky to go to the NBA. 
you don't have to. You don't have to go to Duke or North Carolina to get to the NBA because no one's going to see you. No, no, no. You could play for Drake. You could play for Oral Roberts. You could play for Fairleigh Dickinson, right? I mean, you could play for these schools, and you can move on, and you can get attention, and you could be a draft pick. So it's a different world out there. So we will see underdogs, bigger underdogs, continue to cover. We will see in the near future, bigger underdogs will, will continue. We're not. This is not the last 116, guys. It's, it's not. This is not the last 215 we're going to see. Do Are we going to see 116 next year? No, I don't think so, right? Are we going to see a 215? Maybe. Are you see a lot of those 14 threes? Yeah, we'll see some of them. Um, and some more stats here. Before we break down the games, which we're going to do in about five minutes, Kansas State right now comes into the tournament. They're 2-0 against the spread in the tournament. They are 23-11 and overall. That's a 68% winning percentage. That's the best against the spread winning percentage for any team left in the tournament. That's Kansas State. An 8 or a 9 seed in the Sweet 16 have gone 18-9 and straight up and 18-8-8 and against the spread. That's Arkansas and FAU. Things to remember, okay? Things to pay attention to as we start breaking these games down. How much do you put into that? You know, that's up to you. It's a personal thing, but I'm giving you statistics. I don't blindly bet statistics. I don't blindly bet trends, but I certainly use them as nuggets of information. That's what I like to call them, nuggets of information. Give me as many nuggets of information as you can possibly pour on me, and then I will decipher which pieces of information and which nuggets of information are really what I need to pay attention to. Here's a good one since we were talking about underdogs and percentages and trends. Since 2005, this comes from Bet Labs. I want to give them more credit here. Since 2005, underdogs are 110, 87, and 7. That's 56% against the spread in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. So they're making you money if you go with the underdogs, but it's not a lot of money, right? I mean, it's not massive, and that's what we really need to to concentrate on here for the next couple of minutes before I take the quick break. All of these stats and all of these trends and all of these numbers and, and all of the things that are sitting in front of you, right? All of all that you like that's sitting in front of you to make an educated guess and a, and a good bet moving forward and what you want to put your money on, all of it can be used as information, but none of it is pure money makers. Like I said, there are people that go in with a system. And I was in Atlantic City this weekend. Thursday, Friday was crazy. Uh, it, it was just insane. And you have a lot of people that come in with their friends or just partying. They don't really know about college basketball, but they love these systems. I'm going to go out and bet every single underdog or everything, you know, and you have that. You know that the unders, right? People love, oh, I'm going to bet every single first half under. That was a trend that people loved, and they loved it. Overall, by the way, the unders were just ridiculous. Uh, best undercover percentage, it's uh, about uh, just under 70% in, in, in like 30 years, okay? So sometimes you'll jump onto something. But understand how thin the, the margins are. In the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, underdogs are covering at 56%. 56%, guys. That's like two games... It really is. Two or three games go the other way, or you get a bad line, and you're looking at not making money. So over 200 games, or just about you're right, just about 200 games, 200 game sample, 56% win percentage. It's not something to just blindly go on. It's not. Okay, we just had the first round of the tournament. If you bet blindly all the favorites, if you bet blindly all the underdogs, you're down money. In both cases, you're down money. 
And the money line underdog number that is going to be absolutely pounded into people's heads, and we're going to watch so many people ju- just jump on top of this next year, it was decided by one game. If you bet every single money line underdog, yeah, you're up 1200 bucks. But it was decided because Fairleigh Dickinson won. If Fairleigh Dickinson does not win that game, you are not making money. If Princeton doesn't win that game, you're barely making money. So the reason why you made money here with Princeton and Fairleigh Dickinson, by the way, both a 1-16 and a 2-15 won, and, and you had to get over. So, yes, congratulations to those that did make money in that system. Congratulations on those who will make money on their systems in the future. But understand how thin those ratios and those margins really are. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we do get back, we'll go right into the game previews. All that and more right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get the gamble before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, standing in front of me, I have the most outstanding player award odds for March Madness, right? Brandon Miller sitting on top, a top five pick in the NBA draft, a likely top five pick in the NBA draft. He is plus 410. Marcus Sasser from Houston is plus 850. Kid from UCLA that I keep ripping on. Look, if UCLA does it, I mean, he's going all the way. Jack S. Jr., uh, plus 1,100. Adam Senongo plus 13 to 1. Drew Timmy 14 to 1. Walker is 17 to 1. Marcus Carr 17 to 1. Tremaine Mark 22 to 1. And then you get the both kids from Creighton in Cal Brenner and Nambar 23 and 24 to 1, respectively. And that is what are the odds? I got to tell you, it's interesting when you're getting into these odds, it's all a matter of. Do you think they're making the, the the final four, right? I mean, it really, almost the championship game. So, like, you see two of these kids from Creighton up there. Um, I mean, Cal Brenner is, is the better player, and he won the Big East Player of the Year. But you can't go with near, near one of these guys. First of all, you have to think that Creighton's going to go all the way, which I, I, I like Creighton, but you have to think that. And they're going up against each other. So that's tough. And that's the same thing with Sasser and Mark, right? I mean, as good as Sasser is, he does have Mark on his team. So they'll probably give it to Sasser, but at plus 850, who knows? Tremaine Mark might, might have a sick game. And, and oh, by the way, Walker's there too at 17-1. to 1. So you, got, you have three guys here, guys, three players in the top 10 for the odds on the same team. You can't go near that. So both of these 
players, uh, both of these teams with, with more than one. I'm, I'm eliminating them all. So that goes Miller, Jaquez, Sonogo, Timmy, and Carr. Okay, those are my five. Now, Sonogo's going to win it if UConn wins. And I have UConn in my bracket winning it all. Okay, one of my brackets. I, I, I like UConn. Marcus Carr probably win it, obviously, of Texas. But Texas got to go all the way. He's not, he's not that dynamic. So to me, and UCLA, you know, he'll win it. Jack has to win it, but but not if they just make the final four. See, Brandon Miller, Drew Timmy, you know, are are, are pretty good, but Brandon Miller's got no absolutely no value here, plus four hundred. To me, Drew Timmy at fourteen to one makes sense. And Sonogo at, at thirteen to one make a lot of sense. Just based on pure value sake, they both make some sense for me. Um if you're looking for that value. Look. Alabama looks like a steamroller right now, right? It looks like Alabama's just going to just crush the competition and crush everybody. Uh, so Brandon Miller makes sense. But at 4-1, I'm not going anywhere near it. I'm just not going near any, anywhere near it. So let's get into the games finally. Michigan State, Kansas State, 6.30 Eastern tip. This is on Thursday. Line is sitting here. Kansas State, uh, you know, depending on where you're looking, this is about a one, one-and-a-half point spread. 137-and-a-half is the total. Look, Kansas State has really impressed, and they are coming from a conference that is a dynamic conference. I think that we definitely have to take that into consideration. But I'm going to bash Kansas State here for a moment, and I don't want to just destroy them, but I am. Look, beating Montana State and the way that they beat them, I'm not overly impressed. So their big kind of impressive situation is against Kentucky. I don't know. I'm not impressed against Kentucky. I'm not. Kentucky's not the team that they once were. Kentucky wasn't that team this year. They just weren't. So you're talking about Kansas State. Yes, they're here, and you can't take away anything from somebody getting to the Sweet 16, but from a betting perspective, they beat Montana State and Kentucky to get here. Big whoop, right? They lost to TCU by 13. They lost to West Virginia. They lost their last two regular season games, okay? Yes, you beat Oklahoma. Yes, you beat Oklahoma State. Both of them are non-NCAA tournament teams. Right, you did beat Baylor and Iowa State, but before that, you lost to Oklahoma and Texas Tech. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you know they lost. If if you're including the the postseason here, they lost, you know, six of their last eleven games. So I'm not overly impressed with Kansas State, but I'm not overly impressed with Michigan State either. You can argue that Michigan State is the best player on the court. Okay, so that certainly is an advantage. And Tom Izzo is a great coach. I've bashed him at times, but these are the kind of teams when nobody expects it. These are the type of teams and these are the type of years that Tom Izzo goes on a run and everyone's like, whoa, wait a minute, what just happened to Tom Izzo? And in a weird spot, and I said this right after, I said this on the air right after I saw the interview with Tom Izzo, he looks like he's having fun, right? When the interview was over, and he he talked about it. I couldn't break the clipboard. It's a different kind. And he was ragging on, uh, you know, uh, the announcers. And Tom Izzo looks like he's having fun. And that translates over into the team. So Tom Izzo beat USC, a team that many people thought USC was going to win. Again, USC is not a powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination. But it's better than Montana State to get here. And then they beat Marquette. And look, Shaka Smart's a disaster. He's a terrible coach. I've said it all along. I don't care. He's a bad coach. But they beat Marquette. So what's more impressive? Beating a Kentucky team that's down on the year, that was probably overseeded, or beating a number two Marquette that had a legitimate claim to number one. Yeah, the Marquette win is much more impressive. What's more impressive? Beating Montana State or beating USC? Beating USC. 
And then you go into how Michigan State kind of ended the season. Yes, they lost to Ohio State, but they had beaten them right before that, the game before that. So they went one and one there. You beat Nebraska, okay, and you beat Indiana. Sandwiched in the middle of that, you lost to Iowa. You lost to Iowa in overtime in, in one of those weird games. So they've been playing well. Okay, uh, when you when you look at how they kind of finished the season, they had to play Ohio State. They, they beat Ohio State twice in a month and then lost the third time. I'm not taking that away from them. They had a bad loss at Michigan, and they had that bad loss in overtime against Iowa. Iowa's a tournament team, and they also played in overtime, and it was on the road. So, you know, I look at this and I go, I think Michigan State and Kansas State is a stay-away game for me. I don't think I'm going to be going anywhere near it. But if you're going with intangibles, yeah, I know everyone wants to run to Kansas State. They're in a better conference. Yes, check mark for them, better conference. And they're getting points. They're getting points, but it's a point, so I'm not looking at that. K-State, better conference, yes. Michigan State, to me, the better coach. To me, the best player on the field, on the court. And to me, they also have had a tougher road to get here, not only into the tournament, but on the way to the tournament. So I lean Michigan State in this spot. Next up, we have UConn, Arkansas. And I'm telling you guys straight out, um, I liked UConn before the year. I liked UConn before the Big East tournament. I have UConn. I, I filled out three brackets this year. I was asked to put it be in three brackets, okay? I put UConn in one of my brackets. I have Texas in the other bracket. And I had UConn in, in the final four in every one of the brackets. I had UConn in the final game in two of my three brackets. So I, I am all over UConn, Okay. Their minus four total is 140. I think UConn's the better team here. All right? I will say this, though. MGM put this out this week. The most bet game is UConn. The most bet team is UConn right now. That scares me. The number's gone up from three to four, and I've even seen it hit four and a half in some spots. That scares me. UConn is a team that that really has gone and given me the look of a, of a championship team. And they did that coming down the stretch, right? You're through a big, big, a very tough Big East. And that's what UConn went through. Talk about it all you want, guys. We're sitting here in the Sweet 16. Xavier's here. UConn's here. Creighton's here. Marquette was the number two seed, right? So the Big East was dynamic, and I talked about that all year. They beat five teams to end off the regular season. Then they beat uh, Providence in the postseason, the Big East tournament. And they lost by two points to Marquette. They lost by two. Come out, you beat Iona, a team that people really did believe had a chance in this game. They squashed them by 24. Okay, absolutely squashed them. And the only reason that game was close is because they were two from 11 from three-point range in the first half, or else that, that might have been a 40-point win. Then they go out there and they beat St. Mary's. Real good defensive team. So Iona, top, top offensive team, beat them, put up 87. St. Mary's, real good defensive team, beat them, put up 70, held them to 55. They are really gelling in all aspects. Arkansas, meanwhile, a good coach, right? I mean, you got to take take that and say, yes, very good coach. I hated the way they ended their season. And I'm not overly impressed with what they've done. I'm just not. Yes, beating Kansas is huge. They beat Kansas by one point. It shows intestinal fortitude. It shows that you go out there and beat a number one team. But I think that we all would say, hey, if Bill Self was on the sidelines in that game, they're not winning that game, right? I mean, they're not winning that game if Bill Self is there. So, I'm not putting too much into that. Beating Illinois, ah, big whoop, right? Again, here we go. I'm not crazy about that. Ending their season, they lost three straight to Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Three straight to three teams. They gave up 88, 86, and 75 points. 
Then you go out, they beat Auburn in the first round, still gave up 73 and barely won by three points, and then they lost to Texas A&M. So coming into the tournament, they had lost three regular season games. Going in, oh, well, into the uh, SEC tournament, they lost three straight games. Going into the real tournament, they lost four of the last five, right? They've gone out there, they beat Illinois and a Bill Selfless, <laughs> that's pretty good, Bill Selfless Kansas team. I'm just not impressed with Arkansas. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm leaning UConn. I'm leaning UConn to score a lot of points. I, I, I actually think this 140 is probably looking like an over as well. And I'm an under player, and it's an under year. How about FAU Tennessee, the second most bet team, and the second most money coming in on Tennessee here. Tennessee opened up as a five-point favorite. They're up to a six-point favorite against FAU. Total is 130.5. And this is all about can Tennessee continue to play bully ball? What they did against Duke was a masterclass on how to absolutely intimidate and frustrate and beat up on a team. The refs let them play. Okay, Tennessee was as physical as we've seen in a tournament in years. They beat up on a young Duke team. They leaned on them. It was like a boxer that just kept throwing body punches and body punches. You knew it was going to eventually come out, and that was Tennessee's style. They're missing their best defensive player. Doesn't matter. We're going to come out here. We're going to come out here with pure defense, and we are going to just beat people up. They held Duke to 52 points. They held Louisiana to 55 the game before that. Yeah, they can absolutely beat teams up. But that's if the refs allow it. I don't know if the refs are going to allow the the mugging that we saw and, and the physicality. Now, you have FAU. 33 wins now. Yeah, you can tell me that their schedule wasn't all that impressive. Oh, sure, you know. Uh, well, you know, they, they come from a weird conference and this and that. Yeah, I get it all. But let's look at what they've done, you know, here at the end of the year. Because... The regular year doesn't matter. I look at the end of the year. Yeah, they rattled up four straight regular season wins, and they beat Western Kentucky, and they they humiliated them. They beat Middle Tennessee in a rebound game. UAB, they beat them by 22. Then they go in the first round, and they beat Memphis, a team in Memphis that people just watched beat Houston. I know I'll be it without some players, but they beat Houston. They win that game. Then they take on FDU. FAU can play. I think Tennessee should be the favorites here. Okay, I'm fully on board with Tennessee being the favorite. If they're able to play their style, this could get ugly. I'm on board with Tennessee being the favorite in this spot. I get it. But I think with a tough defensive mindset and a team in Tennessee that tends to play close, tight games, the 5.5 might be alive. Look, they beat Louisiana by three. By three, guys, right? So do you think that FAU could hang more than Louisiana? This could be one of those spots where Tennessee advances, Tennessee moves on in your bracket, Tennessee looks good, but they don't cover the increasingly large spread where, like I said, it opened up at five, it's up to six, and all this money's coming in on them. It wouldn't shock me to see this get to six and a half or so by nine o'clock on Thursday. I expect Tennessee to put up a good fight. It's all going to depend on the referees. Will the refs allow them to play the physicality that got them past Duke? Finally, we move to the last game of the day, which might be the best game, Gonzaga against UCLA. If the UCLA Bruins had their team fully intact in this game, and it spreads two, by the way, 145 and a half. If, if the UCLA Bruins had their team fully intact, 100% healthy in this spot, their best defensive player on the court and ready to go, if they had that, I don't think I could bet against UCLA. 
I've been down on the Pac-12, but I don't think I can bet against UCLA. I've said all along with this Gonzaga team that people are overlooking them. I said it before the tournament. Seems year after year after year, it was Gonzaga's going to do this, Gonzaga's going to do that, Gonzaga put them right through the Final Four, and they've come up short. And now this year, they didn't have that spectacular season in a lot of people's minds, although they had a very good year. They didn't have the defense, but their offense might be the best. And look, Drew Timmy's the best player on the, on the court. Uh, no offense to Jacquez, but but it's the truth, right? So I think people are underrating Gonzaga a little bit. But I've said it all along. Gonzaga can win with pure offense. Their offense is so good that they could win with pure offense. Now, would I have expected them to win with pure offense against a UCLA team that can be one of the best defensive teams in the league? No. I think I would be leaning UCLA in this spot had they been 100% healthy. But let's look at reality. And reality is very, very straightforward. They are missing their best defensive player. They're missing their best defensive player. And you're going up against the best offense in the country without your best defensive player. The mental aspect of it alone is going to be tough for UCLA. So... I'm looking at this contest and I'm saying, you know, you you have to get out there and you have to say, are you going to run with Gonzaga? UCLA can run, can run with Gonzaga. If they turn around and they go, we're going to run. We're going to try to score 80 and I think we can hold them to 79. If UCLA wanted to do that, I think they can run with Gonzaga because Gonzaga's defense is so bad. But very few teams in the league want to get into a shootout with Gonzaga because they fear of what can happen. At the end of the game, Drew Timmy can take over. You can fear that. So, for me, this is a game where I think we're going to see the loss of UCLA and their best defensive player just show up late in the game. And there's a very good chance that UCLA gets out, they run, and they just abuse this defense that is is Gonzaga. I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. But I have to lean Gonzaga in this spot. I have to lean them because of what I know they can do. I am not convinced 100% that UCLA can run with this team and play some kind of semblance of defense. I think you're going to have to choose one or the other. I know for a fact Gonzaga can run with anybody in the league. I know for a fact Gonzaga's offense is going to work no matter what, right? So I'm going to go with the known commodity here. It's a tough game. It's a hard-fought game. It's a good, watchable game. But as far as betting... I'm not sure. I did tell you, though, before the tournament, I thought Gonzaga had some pretty decent odds. Even after they won the first round, they had decent odds to win it all. Sitting right now, Gonzaga still has pretty decent odds in the Sweet 16. If you think that they could go on a run and they could win it all, you can still grab a Gonzaga future and feel pretty good about it. That's talking about the future. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Okay, guys, let's go bet to the future. And I have the line movements here for some Sweet 16 games that the movements have gone uh, quite quite up quite a bit here. Like I said, Tennessee opened at four, four and a half. It's up to six. And yes, I did see it touch six and a half for a moment. Wouldn't surprise me if it got there pretty completely. UCLA minus one and a half. Well, now that's two and a half against the Zags. Alabama minus six and a half to the open. It's up to eight and a half in some spots against San Diego State. Let's take a look at some of the totals here. Uh, Michigan State, Kansas State, 136 and a half. It's up to 138. UConn, Arkansas, 139 and a half. It's up to 140 and a half. Tennessee, FAU, 132. And now it's down to 131. And Miami, Houston, 138. 
and a half, and it's down to 137 as that line drops. That is bet to the future. All right, let's get into Friday's game, 6.30 start Eastern time. Like I said, Alabama-San Diego State. Uh, look, I, I, I've been a proponent of being against Alabama all year long, right? I mean, this is a team that's hard to root for because of the Brandon Miller situation, but it, it's also hard not to look at him as the clear best player that's on the court by far, on any court, right? I mean, isn't he the best player in college basketball? I, I think that he probably is. And you look at Miller defensively, offensively, everything that he can do. But it's not just him. You know, his teammates are also really good. Obviously, Miller's going to be the story. What I've said time and time again about Alabama. Okay, and this line opened up at 7. Like I said, it's up to 8, 8.5, over under 137. What I've said time and time again about Alabama is the Alabama Crimson Tide are not going to lose in this tournament because another team plays better than them. They're not going to lose in this tournament because another team schemes better than them. They're going to lose in this tournament if they get in their own heads. Now, we have the Brandon Miller fiasco outside this. Maybe that is cause of it, but no. I've also said that it's going to take a defensive team. It's going to take a defensive team to maybe not play that ridiculous elite defense and shut Alabama down, but make them make mistakes. And if Alabama starts questioning themselves and they start pointing fingers at each other, what will then happen? San Diego State is that type of team. San Diego State is a type of team that can frustrate you. I don't think San Diego State's going in here and holding Alabama to 55 points, right? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not thinking that. But San Diego State, for a stretch of four, five, six minutes, might make you question, well, you didn't make that outland pass. Well, you, you didn't go inside. Well, why'd you take that shot? Oh, that was a bad shot. Oh, it bounced off the rim. Well, you weren't there for the offensive rebound. And you could start the Alabama infighting. Alabama looks like a steamrolling type of team. They look like a team that cannot be slowed down. Forget about being stopped. I had them against Maryland. They humiliated Maryland, right? They humiliated. They won the last two games by 20-plus points. The last three going back, um, if you want to go back to the Texas A&M game. They are a machine, an absolute machine. But let's look at the teams that stopped them. Tennessee, that great, ridiculous defense in Tennessee, held them to 59 points in a win. Oklahoma put up 93 on them, but they also held them to under 70. And that was, again, hostile environment, tough spot. Now, Gonzaga put up 100 earlier in the season, so you can get the offense going. But I think that the last two losses that you do see are those type of games. Now, you look at San Diego State, maybe they don't have that ridiculous Virginia championship type of offense, uh, type of defense, but they certainly can stop you. My worry with San Diego State here is that if Alabama plays their game, they're going to lose. Look, San Diego State's going to lose. They're not going to be in this thing. Holding Furman to 52 and Charleston to 57, Utah State to 57, San Jose State to 49, those last four games. Oh, that's all impressive. Look at the names that I just threw out there, though. Look, look at the teams I just threw out there. When they went up against Ohio State earlier in the year, uh, yes, they won. Ohio State put up 77. They had to put up 88. It's not happening against Alabama. When they went up against Arizona earlier in the year, they let Arizona score 87. When they went up against Arkansas, yeah, I know it's overtime. They still let Arkansas score 78, right? So I worry about San Diego State. I think that they can be the type of team to, to win this game. They have the style that I think can frustrate Alabama. But San Diego State has also shown me when the level of competition goes up, their play has not really gone up with it. That could be a problem here. I think Alabama wins. I tend to think Alabama wins kind of going away here just because Alabama is so strong. But if there's a team and a style that could get into the Alabama Crimson Tide's heads and they can make them beat themselves, it could be the San Diego State Aztecs.
The other dominant team that looks like they're kind of just cruising to a Final Four, which will be in their backyard, is Houston against Miami. Miami opens up as a 7.5-point underdog. 138 is the total. Again, shop around for that. Houston, we just gave out the player of the, 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 the tournament award, right? Three out of the top 10 are on Houston. They are a multifaceted team. They do need Marcus Sasser healthy, and they do need him to win a championship. But even if you, you give me him at 50%, I think they could beat this Miami team. Beating Auburn and the way that they did that with offense— Pure offense, putting up 81, was impressive. They can also turn up the defense. Look, holding Auburn to 64 was good. Northern Kentucky to 52. Yeah, this is a defense-first team. You could see that by Cincinnati at 48, East Carolina at 46. We know Houston's about defense. But if they're getting the offense going like we, I see that, well, that's just absolutely fantastic. Miami, on the other hand, look, I haven't been convinced about Miami all year long. They're an ACC team in a year where the ACC was down. Right? I mean, they're an ACC team in a year that the ACC was down. So I'm not going to find many impressive wins on their, their docket here. Yeah, you beat Indiana. Did, what did I think in Indiana? I thought the Big Ten was worse than the ACC. So that's not a, a big win there for me. Put up 85 there. Now, they beat Drake. But how did they beat Drake? Drake was in full control of that game, shut down this Miami offense for most of that game. Drake lost the game with two minutes to go because Miami started to press, and Drake forgot like eighth grade basketball, don't run into the corner and, and make bad passes when you're in the press. So again, you know, you look at Miami and they want to live and die by their offense and their offense is very, very productive. But when they get into these battles with defensive teams like a Drake, they have shown to have all kinds of difficulties. I know they walked out of Drake with a win, but if you watch that game, they should not have. Here comes Houston, that great defense. Find me that great Miami win, right? Go ahead. Find me that great Miami win, uh, you know, all year long. Where is it? Is it against Providence? I mean, is that their great Miami win early in the season? Oh, they followed that up by losing to Maryland. Okay. Is your great Miami win uh, against, you know, Cornell? No. Okay, so then you get into conference. Is a great Miami win at home by two to Virginia in December? It's not a great Miami win because the Big East is just not a great team. Right? They lost to Duke on the road. They lost to Pitt on the road. They came back and they beat Duke. They beat Duke, and they, they, they destroyed Duke. They beat Duke at home, putting up 81 points. All right, I guess that's their signature win. But now what we know with this Duke team, was it really their signature win? Don't tell me going to North Carolina was a, a, a signature win. They don't have a signature win. They just don't have it. And I know Pitt was a decent team, but winning by two in the last day of the year, uh, you know, that's not that's not a win. That's not the signature win. Barely getting by Wake Forest in the AC tournament. Not a signature win. Then Duke, by the way, exacted revenge on them. So I don't have them play with a significant win. Losing to Duke, barely beating Drake in a game that you were beaten up on, and then beating Indiana doesn't impress me. Here's another situation where I don't want to take Houston. I don't think Houston has the pedigree for a championship team. I was betting against Houston uh, in, in big spots a couple of times this year. It's not that I don't like Houston. I just think they're overbought. In this spot, though, I have a hard time making a legitimate claim for Miami. The only way that Miami wins this game is if they get red hot from the field, they turn around, they absolutely explode for like 80 points, right? And, and this is a shootout, and Houston gets into a shootout. Miami defensively can't contain Houston. And Houston defensively can contain Miami. It's going to be the difference in this game. 
Princeton and Creighton is up next on the biggest line of the weekend. A 10-point line for Creighton. Princeton getting the 10 over under is 140. Look, Creighton is sitting here in this position, and I I have talked about Creighton before the year, and I thought that Creighton had a chance. We did the preview show here, and I thought that Creighton had a chance to win the championship. I was all in on the Creighton team. Because, look, I look in the preseason, I looked at the players coming back. I looked at the situation they had, looked at their skill set, and I said, yeah, Creighton is just more talented than everybody else. And, and and I do think that they are a team that was coming from a very good conference that, you know, they're going to go through the battle test, and I like the battle tested. Nothing has changed. This is a team that didn't win and didn't even come in second in the Big East during the regular season, yet they had three of their five players before first-team All-American. Four of their starters were All-Americans on the first two teams, right? Two of their players right now are in the top 10, as we talked about earlier, to win tournament MVP. They are a massively talented team. And people go, well, what went wrong? Look, they won 23 games. I I don't know if a lot went wrong. They won 23 games. They beat Texas Tech out of conference. They beat Arkansas out of conference. They went to Arizona and lost by two. They lost a a five-point game at Texas. They played a tough out-of-conference schedule. And then they got into conference, and they went through their stretch where they looked really good. Right now, remember, they dealt with a couple of injuries and stuff, but they went through a stretch where they re- looked really good, but they couldn't beat the elite teams in the conference. You know, they lost to Marquette in Marquette. They lost to UConn on the road. They lost to Xavier on the road. Those look like rough losses, but wait a minute. All three of those teams, right, made the tournament. Two of them are still alive. And you go, well, when they got home, they exacted revenge on Xavier, right? When they got home, they exacted revenge on UConn. They, they just couldn't exact that revenge on Marquette. And I've talked about this game multiple times. That was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen. They lost by two, and they should have won the game. I, I, even even my, my people I know from Marquette, my Marquette fan fandom people, are going, yeah, we should have lost that game. So you should have should have won that. So they, they should have exacted all three of their revenges from their quote-unquote bad losses. They end off the year with two straight regular season wins against two garbage teams, but still impressive performances, putting up 99 and 84 points. They put up 87 on a Villanova team in the Big East tournament that is supposed to be known for their defense. And then they met a red-hot Xavier team, who, oh, by the way, that was looked at as a bad loss. Oh, by the way, Xavier's red-hot. Xavier's red-hot, and they're still alive. They go out there, they handle NC State relatively easy. They go out there, they put up 85 on Baylor. Creighton is the real deal, but it is a double-digit spread. And I do believe in the Ivy League, on the Ivy League, uh, you know, all about the Ivy League, uh, talking about Princeton. I said it before, and I'll say it again about this Princeton Tiger team. Princeton was not the best team in the Ivy Leagues this year. They may not have been the second best team in the Ivy Leagues this year, but I thought that they could have a good tournament. Now, I didn't think they were going to win game one as a 15-2, to but I said, yeah, listen, this is, this is going to be a single-digit loss, if anything. They're going to play close. They, they wound up blowing out even my expectations. Princeton's a real good team. Princeton is hot at the right moment. And that confidence, they are cleaning up on the offensive glass. Like, I haven't watched them all year, and I've watched every game all year, right? They Their confidence level is outstanding right now. And you go back and you go, wait a minute, where where did this begin, really? Look, they lost to Yale in overtime in a game that they should have won. 
But that would have been four straight wins coming into the postseason. They went to Harvard and Cambridge when Harvard was was just their backs against the wall in a must-win spot. They won that. They went up against a Penn team that had won eight straight games leading into the final game. They won that. Then they beat Penn in the first round of the Ivy League tournament. Yale in the next round. Yale, who everybody had going through, beat up on Arizona, even though Arizona looked like they kind of beat themselves, and then handled Missouri without a problem. It's hard to bet against this Princeton team. The way they clean up on the offensive glass makes it really hard to bet against this team. But again, I just went crazy about Creighton and told you just how good Creighton can be. I think Creighton wins the game. Um, But it wouldn't surprise me if Princeton keeps this miracle run going because of how they can get those second-chance shots. Finally, the last game is going to go off on Friday. Texas Xavier. Texas is a four-point favorite here. Xavier's been red hot, and I've said that a couple of times during the show. Xavier is is absolutely on fire right now. There's just no other way to look at this, right? I mean, it is it is Xavier just rolling, doing the things that I think that we all thought Xavier could do seemingly year after year, and they always came up short. Um, you look at how they ended the regular season, three regular season wins, again, against all teams that they should have won, but three regular season wins. Takes care of DePaul. Takes care of Creighton with ease. They won 82-60 to 60 against Creighton. Then they lose to Marquette. No shame in that. Kennesaw State wasn't a real test. They 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 beat them. Again, a little tougher than I think people thought. Pitt, go out there, put up 84. Their offense is just fantastic. Their offense, think about this. Their offense, um, in their, their, their three wins at the end of the regular season, 82-94-78. Get into the Big East tournament, 89-82. Kennesaw State, 72. Pittsburgh, 84. Marquette shut them down, though, right? Marquette held them, good defense in Marquette, to 51. Villanova, good defense, held them to 63. Marquette also held them to 68 before that. Creighton held them to 67. In their losses, their offense just doesn't work. And now here comes Texas. Texas is the hottest team to me coming into the tournament only because they were able to beat Kansas there. Now you take care of Oklahoma State, TCU, and then you take care of Kansas again in the Big Ten tournament taking on and beating up Colgate in a year where I thought Colgate was good, but let's be honest, beating up on Colgate is not going to turn anybody's attention. And everybody loved Penn State because they're hot shooting, but look, they come from the Big Ten, and it was a five-point win. So both of these teams are hot, but both of them really haven't had a test from a major team that I'm all sitting back and going, oh, wow, that that's tremendous. Look, Texas lost to Baylor and TCU coming into the, the season. Why? Uh, into the, uh, the postseason. Why? They gave up 81 and 75 points, 74 to Texas Tech, 88 to Kansas, 82 to Tennessee. Teams that can score a lot are are going to win. So here's the thing. Texas is saying to themselves, we cannot get into a shootout. If we get into a shootout, we're going to lose the game. I mean, it's just that simple. It is a complete and utter difference in mentality. Texas knows if they get into a shootout, chances are they're probably going to lose the game against Xavier. Xavier is a real good offensive team. They're going to be able to run the floor. And the problems that Texas has had this year has been when teams sped them up and got them into a position where their defense just crumbled and they were able to put up massive points. Xavier wants to run. Xavier's saying, I want to make this a fast game. I want to score. Let's just go on a scoring spree. That's what we're looking at. But in the same vein, the other side of this is that Texas knows, well, when Xavier's had problems, It's been pure defense. The other team has held them down completely. We've watched Xavier have major problems defensively quite a few times this year. So so the philosophy is we're going to slow this game down. Slow it down to a crawl. I want this game to be played in the 60s. If this game is played in the 60s, Texas wins. 
If this game is played into the 80s, most likely Xavier wins. So whose style is going to be uh, the question here? I think Texas should be a four-point favorite. But as much as I like Texas, and I thought they had a chance to win this all, let's not act, guys. Let's not sit back and act like we are 100% sure that Texas is going to be able to dictate the pace. Xavier's been hot shooting. Xavier's been routinely getting into the 80s. I don't think that Texas can keep pace if they get into the 80s. I don't think so. So, guys, my final four teams are are basically all still alive. My final two teams are certainly still alive. My champions are out there. I've given those to you. This is going to be a real deciding weekend. We got a Sweet 16. We got the Elite Eight. Enjoy it all, everybody. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.